Welcome to Emmanuel. How is everybody feeling today? Pretty good? Awesome, awesome. Hey, I'm a little bit fired up today. Got some good news for you. And we're going to jump into week number four of Go First here in just a moment. But uh, many of you know we are a multi-site church. We are one church with multiple locations. We have a little location, obviously, here in Gradman. We also have one in the Perry Meridian area at the corner of Banta and Harding. We also have launched a campus in Franklin, Indiana. They now meet in a middle school. What's up, Franklin? Giving you a little love right there. We love you. Um, Many of you know we've been looking for a piece of property to build a permanent site for our Franklin campus. And we've looked and looked and looked for month after month after month. We've looked at existing buildings. We've looked at property. Uh, things we thought were going to work out didn't work out. And the goal is to have a permanent site just like we have at, at Banta and Harding because of the tear up and set down or the set up and tear down every week that goes on at the Franklin campus. And so we are looking at a piece of property right now. It's, it's not a 100% done deal, but man, it looks really promising. It's about 14 and a half acres, close to 65 in Franklin there. And I just want to ask you this. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to pray that this is the piece of property for our church that we can build our third permanent site. Isn't that exciting what God is doing there? So as we get more details on that, we're talking with the owner and all that stuff. As that develops, we'll let you know as soon as something solid comes through. So very, very exciting. We need your prayers there. Uh, so if you're a guest with us here today, it's a little bit about our church, what's going on. We are closing out a series today called Go First. First time we've ever done a leadership series ever in the history of our church, to my knowledge. And it's been a fun series. Has it been helpful to you? Uh, has it, has it, have you been able to draw some principles out? Good, good, good. What we've said in this series is that you are a leader because you have influence. Even if it's just a little bit of influence, that's all it takes to be a leader. We've been talking about this idea that leadership is using that influence, if you want to look definition here, using that influence to rally other people to accomplish something that you can't do by yourself, that you cannot do alone. If you can do it by yourself, you're not leading. Does that make sense? Okay, that's not leadership. If you can do everything by yourself, you're not leading and you can't accomplish much on your own anyway. And so leadership is this ability to use other people, not use other people, to tap into other people, to rally other people around a cause and accomplish something you cannot do by yourself. And so we've been talking about it. We, we've been giving you examples of leadership I, uh, through this series. I want to give you one more that's actually homegrown, someone from our church. Uh, I want to share their quick story with you. Bill and Kelly Lou Allen, they attend this church. They're great examples of leaders in our community. About, about uh, 2005, Kelly Lou Allen went on a missions trip to Nicaragua. She took t her job was to take 25 students from the church. Actually, it wasn't this church. It was another church in the area. 25 students to Nicaragua and, and, and bring them home on this missions trip. And out of her own mouth, I kid you not, this is what she said to me the other night. We were at her house hanging out, talking about Nicaragua. She said, all I wanted to do was to get 25 students to Nicaragua and get them home from Nicaragua. That was it. She said, I wasn't really interested in Nicaragua, didn't have a burden for Nicaragua, didn't really care about Nicaragua. I just wanted to get these kids home. And something crazy happened when she got there. When she got there, she caught a burden for the people of Nicaragua. She saw children eating out of a dump, surviving living and eating out of a dump. She saw women who had been abandoned by their husbands. She saw poverty like she had never seen before. She saw spiritual poverty that she had never seen before, hopelessness in people's eyes. And her heart was burdened. But she didn't, she didn't stop there. As we've been talking about in this series, leadership doesn't stop there. She took ownership of that burden and came home 
And it wasn't long after that that, that Bill and Kelly Llewellyn started an organization called Hope Road Nicaragua, an organization that we support, proudly support as a church. All these years later, Hope Road Nicaragua now supports 23 communities. They've launched 21 local churches in that time from 2005 to 2016. Each particular uh, church has a pastor uh, in that church. It's unbelievable what they do. They do wellness programs. They build wells to, to to give the communities clean water. They do these pastor conferences where all the pastors in the area come out and they do these women's conferences every single year where, where hundreds and hundreds of women come come out to hear hear the gospel. It's unbelievable the work that is going on. I personally was able to see it recently. I took my family there. We went to see these pastors and these churches and and the the wells that some of you helped to to, to build there. It's an unbelievable work that is being done. What I love about it, what I love about it is that if you were here last week, you heard me talk about empowerment, how leaders empower others. Well, of course they don't do this work their own. Bill and Kelly actually live here in the United States. I want to show you a picture of their team. This is, this is Bill. This is Pastor Josue. He's one of the pastors there. He's a short little guy. <laughs> you can see that. But he's a powerful preacher. Um, and these, these are some of the staff members that are on the ground there in Nicaragua. You can, I love their t-shirts, don't you? Isn't that awesome? They're on the ground there in Nicaragua doing the work because Bill and Kelly live in the United States. They have empowered. They have six staff members on their team, and God is doing an amazing work. Why do I share that story with you? Because they're leaders. They're leaders. They're just like you. They're just people. They're not, they're not extra special people. They're just people that have used their influence to do something that they could not do on their own. And that is to help people in Nicaragua find clean water and find the, 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 the riches uh, of the glory of the gospel of Christ in their life. And, and to find, you know, sh- good shelter and, 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 and to have pastors leading them in there. It's unbelievable work that's being done. You are a leader as well. And so what I want to do to talk uh, today is talk to you about if you should, if you should take up the baton, uh, the leadership baton, and, and kind of grab it and start to run with it and lead. I want to talk to you today about some of the things that you are going to face. Okay, and I, I don't want to scare you, but, but uh, this is just kind of reality. I want to talk about the challenges of leadership because leadership, if you're taking notes today, leadership is filled with challenges. Let's just say, you know what, I'm going to do this. I'm going to step into my role as a leader. I'm going to use my influence to rally others to accomplish something I can't do by myself. Great, great, great. And then all of a sudden, what, what you're going to find if you do that is that you're going you're gonna to face immediate challenges because here's what leaders do. Leaders are problem solvers. Leaders are doing stuff. Leaders are starting stuff. Leaders are stopping stuff. Leaders are implementing stuff. Leaders are fixing stuff. They're changing stuff. And you know, if you've had any experience in leadership, when you do stuff like that, you tick people off, don't you? (laughs) And so that's where all the challenges come from. Leadership is filled with challenges. There's a guy named Warren Bennis who's who's no longer alive, but he... uh, he was a professor at the University of Southern California, and, and he became a doctor and just all these different high-level positions at, at that university. And he went on to write many, many books on leadership, and he's actually the guy that's credited for making, catch, catch this, for making leadership an actual uh, topic of study in, in university. It's unbelievable, the, the, the work that he's done. He's written a book called On Becoming a Leader, and this book has been translated into 21 different languages. Warren Bennis was a, a consultant to four universities 
United States presidents, as many, fortune, as many, as, uh, uh, and, and many other Fortune 500 you know, CEOs, and just kind of a leadership guru. And in an article that he wrote about the challenges of leadership, I want you to see what he said. This is an unbelievable statement. He said, I believe adaptive capacity or resilience is the single most important quality in a leader. And then he continues, or in anyone else, for that matter, who hopes to live or lead a healthy, meaningful life. The single most important quality of a leader is adaptive capacity. What is adaptive capacity? It's the ability to come up with solutions to the problems that leaders face. This, this, it's, it's the same thing as perseverance or resilience. Why? Because leadership is filled with challenges, continuous challenges. The single most important quality of a leader is their ability to adapt to the current reality and solve problems and be resilient and, be, and, and persevere through those struggles. Today, I want to talk to you about some specific challenges. There are two types of challenges when it comes to leadership. There is internal challenges and then there's external challenges. The stuff that goes on inside of a leadership, leader's heart and the stuff that happens on the outside. Now, I don't want to talk about the internal challenges, but I do want to mention them. What am I talking about when I say internal challenges? I'm talking about fear. I'm talking about anger or greed or pride or lust. The stuff that lurks deep deep down in the soul of the leader can actually destroy their leadership. And the Bible, when you open it up, if you're reading the Bible, you can see many examples of this. If you're reading the one-year Bible, we just read about King Solomon, right? The Bible says, you shall not take foreign wives. But Solomon really liked him some foreign women. (laughs) So he went ahead and did it anyway. And so he got himself in trouble. And the consequences were that his son Rehoboam, you know, lost 11 of the tribes. And and there were all kinds of problems. Why? Because, Because of this thing inside of King Solomon called lust. He could not help himself. So there's internal battles. There's internal challenges inside of a leader, but we can't, we don't have time to talk about that. This, this, this would be like an hour and a half long talk if we really got into that, and that's too long. But so, so, but I just want to acknowledge those. And leaders, we got we to face those internal challenges. There's so many examples, not just in the Bible, but in our world today in general, right? I, I want to talk to you today about the external challenges of leadership. I believe there are five There are five external challenges that every single leader will face without a doubt. We have to understand what they are and how to face them into them so that we can overcome them as leaders. Whatever it is, uh, whatever, however you find yourself leading, whether it's in your home and that's your leadership context or at the job and you have a team of people underneath you or wherever it is, you have, you're going to face these five challenges. Are you ready for them? Number one is criticism. You will be criticized. It's just the way it goes. Donald Rumsfeld, Rumsfeld said, and some of you may not be a fan of his, but he said, if you're not being criticized, you're not doing much. And that is the absolute truth. <laughs> like, if you're not doing anything, no one's going to say anything. But once you start to fix something, implement something, do something, try to change something, people are going to say, I don't like that. <laughs> Why are we doing that, right? As soon as you take the baton and you start to charge ahead and say, hey, follow me, someone's going to say that is the wrong way to go. It was like this in the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is a great leadership book. It's filled, jam-packed with all kinds of leadership principles. And guess what? When Nehemiah said, we're going to rebuild this wall, there were a group of people that said, no way. I don't like it. They started to criticize him. Listen to what they said in Nehemiah chapter 4. What does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think they're doing? Do they think they can build this wall in a single day just by offering a few sacrifices? And he continues, watch this. Do they actually think they can make something of stones from a rubbish heap and charred ones at that? I mean, just the, the mockery and, and the criticism would just come and come and come. Listen, 
Criticism is par for the course. I'll never forget when I first took over for Pastor Jim Devaney back in 2006. I was 28 years old. I was excited. I felt like we were going to reach the world for Jesus. We were going to change this community. I thought it was going to be great up and to the right. We're going to start to do great things as a church. Instead, the opposite happened. I like to tell people I successfully led the church from 2,000 to 900. It might have even gotten lower than that. One day, someone in my office looked at me and said, why don't you go split another church? Talk about a hard day of leadership. You know, here I am. I love Jesus. I love people. I love the Bible. I'm just trying to help. And now you're accusing me of splitting the church? I don't, I'm not splitting a church. Who wants to split a church? I don't want to split a church. Are you talking to somebody else? It went into my heart. It went into my soul. Listen, the moment you decide you're going to start to lead, you're going to get criticized. And if you don't know how to deal with it, you're going to be toast. Number two, number two, ready? Conflict within the team. You have a team. You're a leader, right? You're not doing this by yourself. So you've got a team of people around you. And anytime you get a team of people around you, guess what's going to happen? They're not going to like each other all the time. Anybody? Anybody have children, multiple children in your house? <laughs> right? They don't like each other all the time, right? There's conflict on the team, right? There's anarchy in the ranks. So, you know, people were trying to overthrow the leader. This happened with Moses when he was trying to lead the people of the children of Israel into the promised land. His top two people, his brother and his sister, Aaron and Miriam, they had a conflict, and the conflict happened to be with him. Listen to what happened in Numbers chapter 12. Miriam and Aaron criticized Moses because he decided to marry somebody who was not Jewish, a Cushite woman, right, an Ethiopian woman. That that really wasn't the problem, though. Let's look at what the real problem was. It was down in their heart. They said, has the Lord spoken only through Moses? Hasn't he spoken through us as well? See, Moses was getting all the credit. Moses was the top dog. Moses was the guy who would go into the tabernacle and and meet face-to-face with God, and he had all these special favor on him, and he would start to glow sometimes because God was all over him. And Miriam and Aaron got jealous. And so God had to step in, and he almost... He almost wiped out Miriam. And the only reason he didn't is because Moses stepped in and said, God, have mercy on her. You know, take, you know, God, take the leprosy away from her. You got to read the story when you get home. But Numbers chapter 12, there's just always going to be conflict on the team. And if you're not ready to deal with that as a parent, as a a team leader, or as a boss or whatever, you're not going to make it in leadership. You're just going to give up. Number two, conflict on the team. Number three, lack of motivation. I've noticed this. Your team, from time to time, is just going to say, you know what? I'm tired. I'm done. (laughs) You know, it's just, there's there's a Gallup poll that came out in 2014 that said three quarters of all United States workers are not engaged at their job. Emotionally not engaged. they're, they're, They're punching a time clock. They really don't care about the goals of the organization or what the boss is passionate about. It's just a job to them. Three quarters. There's another study that said very similar that worldwide, 13% of employees worldwide say they're actually emotionally engaged in their company. 13%. People just don't care as much as the leader. <laughs> you, I mean, some of you are in a leadership context. They, they don't, like, maybe it's just your home, right? Your, your, your children don't care about the, the goals of your household as much as you do, right? They're not engaged in it. They're not fighting for, the, for, for the, you know, the family to reach the goals or whatever, right? It's like that in companies too. People lose motivation. This happened in the book of Nehemiah. Everybody got excited about building the wall at first. And everybody went to work. And they were working nonstop. But then... As they got tired, 
as they looked around at the big giant heaps of rocks and as they look around at, the, at, the, at their, their enemies that were, were trying to stop them from building the wall. Watch what happened in Nehemiah chapter 4. Then the people of Judah began to complain. The workers are getting tired and there's so much rubble to be moved. We will say with me, we will never be able to build this wall by ourselves. What happened? They got all excited about the vision, all excited about the wall. They got tired and they lost motivation. Sometimes I feel like as a father, that's all I'm doing in my household. <laughs> Come on, guys. Let's go. We can do this. Remember why we're doing this, right? And I'm just a motivator in my house, even if it's just to pick up shoes. Isn't that amazing? You know, and oftentimes my motivation there is, is more like threatened threats, but <laughs> we won't go there. Uh, you know, I'm not suggesting that's the... Anyway, I'll stop talking about that. <laughs> People just lack motivation, right? And that's just a challenge for leaders, right? Because you're trying to accomplish this thing that you think is worth it, you think it's worthy, and you know, everybody should jump in and give what they, their best, and they're not. That's just a huge challenge. Let me give you the fourth one, crises and disasters. Oh, man, this will wipe a leader out. I mean, if you're not ready for a crisis or a disaster, you will throw the towel in as a leader because they, they're just going to happen. What's a crisis? What, how is a crisis different from a disaster? A crisis is this scenario where it's just this ongoing problem. It could be a financial crisis. It just won't go away week after week, month after month, year after year. You ever been in a crisis like this in your family or in your organization? It's just a, a financial, and it's just, it's just this thing. It's like an abscess tooth. It just won't go away, and you're the leader, and you have to somehow manage the, you know, through this crisis. Another one is that you know, maybe there's a legal issue or a moral issue, and there's a, there's a lawsuit, and it just won't go away, and you have to kind of manage this whole thing. Or maybe it's a culture issue inside the organization, your house, or, or, or in, in, in your, in your uh, workplace where there's a toxic environment, and, and it's not getting any better, and every day you have to come to work and deal with negative attitudes and this and that, and, and it's the leader's job to kind of manage and lead through that crisis. That's incredibly challenging. That'll wear you out. Am I right? Yes or no? And then there's a disaster. Disaster is different. Something happened, it's over, and now you have to deal with the, the aftermath. You see how that works? Planes fly in the buildings, or a big giant wave, you know, comes over and takes a million, you know, 100,000 people out, kills them, whatever. A disaster is just this thing that happened, it's over, and now what? In either case, ever, all the followers, if it's a disaster or if it's a crisis, they're looking at the leader saying, what should we do? And you have to kind of come up with this I, this answer, this, okay, here's how we're going to do this. Here's how we're going to get through this crisis. Here's how we're going to get through this disaster. That's incredibly challenging stuff. Let me give you this last one, number five, uh, opposition. Whew. This one's tough. Very similar to criticism, but it's, it's more forceful. This, this is when people decide to step up and try to stop you. It doesn't, it doesn't end with talk. They actually make a plan to stop you from doing the very thing that you feel called to do. This happened in the book of Nehemiah. Sanballat and Tobiah and, and, and another guy, uh, they, they, they come up with a plan to, to stop Nehemiah. Watch this, chapter 6, verse 2. So Sanballat and Geshem sent a message asking to meet me, uh, uh, he's talking about himself, Nehemiah, at one of the villages in the plain of Ono. But I realized they plotted to harm me. They wanted me to come off the wall and, and hurt me so that I would stop leading my people to build this wall. You see that? There's some people that will take it a step further and go past criticism, and they will oppose you. 
These are incredible challenges that every single leader will face if you're trying to do something significant with your life. And I'll tell you what, if you don't have opposition from people and you're trying to do something from God, and that's really what we've been saying, that God wants to do something through you, he wants you to be a leader to accomplish his goals and his, his will in this world, you will have spiritual opposition. What am I talking about? I'm talking about the devil and I'm talking about his, his demonic forces that are actively opposing anything you want to do on behalf of God's honor and God's glory. Do you understand what I'm saying you will be opposed as a spiritual leader. This is tough stuff. Some of you are like, oh my gosh, will you quit it already? <laughs> Talk about something positive. Okay, 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 I'm in there. Here's my question today. Well, let me, before I get to my question, let me just say this. If you and I are not prepared to lead and face the challenges, here's what's going to happen. We'll quit. We will quit. We'll quit our families. And many people do. They just leave their families. We'll quit our companies. We'll quit our small groups. It's so hard. So hard. The problems are continuous. They never go away. I'm tired. And the work that God wanted, listen, the work that God wanted to do through you doesn't get done. That hurts, doesn't it? When we fail to overcome the challenges of leadership. The work that God wants to do through you doesn't get done. And it's a big reason why I've never quit, at least thus far, 10 years into the senior pastor role, I've just never quit. It's just, I just want to see what God's going to do. And if I quit, I won't find out. Is that silly? Is that, is, I mean, is that naive? I just, I just want to find out what, what's he going to do. If I give up, I'll never know. I'll never know how many multi-sites. I'll never know how many people will reach. I'll never know what God's going to do. If I give up, in the midst of all this, I can't give up. Are you crazy? Right? And so the leader's got to say, are you crazy? I can't give up in the, on this family, these children I have in this home. I, I can't give up on, on, on this wife I have, on this husband I have, or this organization. I can't give up. Right? That's what leaders have to do. Because when they give up, they'll never find out what could have been if they had stayed. So here's my question. After a little tangent there, sorry. How can leaders stay the course? That's what we're talking about today. How do I, how do you stay in the game for the long run and, and, and work with God to accomplish the very thing he wants to do through your life? There's really only one answer. It's in your notes there, ready? The leader must, must keep himself, keep herself fired the heck up. <laughs> you must keep yourself fired up. What am I talking about? I'm talking about energized, I'm talking about passionate, I'm talking about engaged, I'm talking about knowing why you got it in the first place, I'm talking about uh, enthusiasm, I'm talking about energy, I'm talking about being fired up. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Some of you are not fired up today, but, but some of you are. I'm talking about keeping yourself fired up, fired up so that you can do what, is, what, what leadership requires of you. That, and, and you can't do what leadership requires of you if, you if you're not fired up. I want to give you my greatest leadership story. It's not mine because <laughs> I didn't write the Bible. God wrote it. But it's a, my, my favorite. I say, I say it that way. My favorite leadership story in the Bible is about David. 
He's in this situation. I won't break it down completely for you, but I'll give you a little snapshot of it. He's supposed to be king. He's been tapped on the, on the shoulder by the prophet to say, hey, you're going to be the next king of Israel. But Saul is still alive. He's not dead yet. So he's kind of in this holding pattern. And, and one day he's got about 600 guys with him. One day he's out on a, on a, on a raid of some sort. And, and, and while he's out on a raid, all of the women and children uh, get kidnapped at home, where, back at camp. And, they, and, the, and the enemy burns down the camp. And so when they come back, when David and his men come back, they find the city smoldering, all their women and all their children are gone, and, and this talk about a bad day in leadership. I mean, you talk about opposition, you talk about negative attitudes, you talk about problems within the team, you talk about disaster, you talk about op- you know, all these different things. He's facing all of these challenges all in one moment. His men start to turn on him, and they start to say, well, you know what, whose fault it is? It's David's fault. And then they say, let's kill him. Watch this in 1 Samuel chapter 30. This is, this is King David. These guys are following him. They love him. Watch what happens. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of killing him, stoning him, because all of the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. If there was ever a moment in time for a leader to quit, if there was ever a, a, a window for a leader to, to say, I'm getting out of this one. I'm getting on my horse and I'm riding until, until I can't ride anymore. I'm done. I'm, I'm supposed to be the king. I'm not the king yet. The very men that I have following me hate me. They want to kill me. I'm out of here. I can't do this any longer. And instead of quitting, instead of throwing in the towel, instead of making a terrible, rash decision, watch what he does. But David strengthen himself in the Lord his God. This one little verse has saved my soul and saved my leadership time and time again. When I've been down, when I'm facing a challenge that's wiping me out emotionally, when I'm discouraged over how this went or that went, when I feel like quitting because I can't do it, I go here. I say, whoa, whoa, whoa. I can't run. I can't go. I have to go to God for strength so that I can turn around after I get that strength into the problem at hand. And that is exactly what you and I, that is exactly what you must do if you want to be able to face the challenges of life, the challenges of leadership, which are the challenges of life. Criticism, conflict within the team, lack of motivation from team members, crises, disasters, opposition. What, those five things, what are they? They are problems. They are leadership problems, and they, they never stop. Are you with me? <laughs> they, they don't stop. And they didn't stop for David. So what did he do? He went, he went and he strengthened himself in the Lord. He found strength in the Lord his God. He encouraged himself in the Lord. And then after he got that strength, he turned back around and he started to pray. He went to God. He said, God, what should we do? Should we chase these guys who kidnapped our women and children? If we do, will you give them into our hands? Will you, will you help us get them back? God says, yes, I will. Take, take your men, chase them down. So that's exactly what they do. They find these guys, they get their women and their children back, and, and he solved the problem. He solved the problem because leaders solve the problems. That's what they do. But they can't do it without strength. 
You see, most people, most people will hate problems, don't they? They, just, they run from them. They avoid them. Don't, 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 don't. Isn't that true? It's like we, instead of having the difficult conversation, we just we, we sit back and say, I ain't talking to her. If I say that to her, there's going to be a problem. I don't want a problem. Most people are, 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 they back away from problems. They want a problem-free life, and so they, they, they fail to step into it. But you know what leaders do? Leaders, leaders step into, into the challenges. They step into the problem, and they solve it. That's exactly what Nehemiah did. When they were building the wall, and, and, and everybody's kind of doing it, and they're motivated, all of a sudden, you know, the enemy comes up, and, and they start to throw threats, and they're, they're, they're thinking, hey, we're going we're to fight these guys. Nehemiah steps in, and watch what he does in Nehemiah chapter 4. He solves the problem of the enemy coming in. So I placed armed guards behind the lowest parts of the wall in the exposed areas. I stationed the people to stand guard by families, armed with swords, spears, and bows. What did he do? He put together a defense system against the enemy. He solved the problem. He didn't ignore the problem, right? He got a, he got a group of people together and, put, and basically armed them to fight the enemy. He solved the problem. Listen, but you, you can't solve the problem if you're on empty. You can't solve the problem if you're cowering in fear. You can't solve the problem if you have no enthusiasm and no excitement and no passion. You ask me? So once you get that strength from God, you come back and you start solving problems. And you start, you start encouraging people who have lost motivation. That's exactly what Nehemiah did. When everybody else wanted to give up, when everyone wanted to throw the towel in, watch what Nehemiah says to his people. He restores their motivation. He says, then as I looked over the whole situation, which that's what leaders do, they look over the whole situation, I called together the nobles and the rest of the people, and this is what I said to them. Watch this. This is a great speech. This should be in a movie one day. He says, don't be afraid to the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious and fight for your brothers, your sons and your daughters and your wives and your homes. What does he do? He notices that his team, his people, they're losing motivation. They're wanting to quit. They're getting discouraged. And because he is engaged, because he has passion, because he has energy, because he has strength, he pours that into his people. And he says, hey guys, remember God. Remember God, remember how glorious he is, remember how mighty he is, remember he's the God who parts the Red Sea, he's the God who delivers us, he's the God who protects us, he's the God who can send his angel down and kill thousands of people if he wants to. Remember God and remember what you're fighting for, your sons and your daughters and your wives, your very livelihood. See what Nehemiah does there? He takes them back to their why. Why are we doing this? Why do we need a wall? Why is it so important? It's because if we don't have a wall, you won't have a life. People go, oh, you're right, you're right, let's fight, let's build, let's fight, let's build. And in 52 days, they build the wall. You see what great leaders do? Because they have strength. They solve problems, and they motivate people, and they empower others, and they stay optimistic because they believe in God's ability and not their own. Here's what I'm saying today. When you find strength in God, you can do the things that leadership requires, whatever that might be. I'll never forget, I heard Bill Heibel say this, who's one of my heroes. He's a senior pastor of Willow Creek Community Church. Uh, he wrote a book called Courageous Leadership. He's got some other stuff. He said this one time, and man, I wrote it down, and, and I just thought, that's it, that's it, that's my, that's my idea, that's my leadership. If I were standing in front of a thousand pastors, if one day I ever speak at a pastor's conference, this is what I'm going to tell them. I'm, I'm going to tell them these words from the mouth of Bill Hybels. Watch what he said. You're a leader. It's your job 
to stay passionate, to keep your passion hot. Do whatever you have to do, read whatever you have to read, go wherever you have to go to keep yourself fired up. And don't apologize to anyone. I was like, whoa, wow, that's powerful. Write it down. He went on to say, here's why. Because when you're empty, when you lack courage, when you're filled with fear, when you, when you don't know what to do, when you don't have the passion, guess what? Your people won't either. They'll follow you. Because the speed of the boss is the speed of the team. And so I've been doing this now for years. I've been reading whatever I have to read. I've been going to wherever I have to go. I've been doing whatever I have to do to keep myself fired up. Why? Why? Because I believe the best is yet to come for this church. I believe, I believe we're just getting started in what God wants to do for us. But, it, but here's the thing. If, if I'm on empty, if I lose my passion, if I, if, I, if I start to disengage, if I start to get down, if I start to lose courage, guess what? Guess what? It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Now, could God do it through somebody else? Absolutely. He could get somebody else to do this job. No problem. But it won't happen through me. And I'll never find out what God would have done had I stayed the course, had I stayed passionate. Some of you have been asking, why are you doing a sabbatical? Six weeks? What, what's all that about? That's what it's about. I'm doing whatever I have to do. I'm going wherever I have to go. I'm going to see whoever I have to see, a counselor. I'm going, to, I'm going to do whatever I have to do to keep myself fired up so that I can lead this church the way God wants me to lead it. The greatest gift, listen, listen, the greatest gift, it ain't about me, but the greatest, the greatest gift I can give all of you as your senior pastor is a fired up soul. I'm convinced of it. A fired up, healthy soul. The, uh, a soul that loves his wife, my precious wife, in the right way. That fathers my children the right way. That handles people with love from, a, from a, a pure motivation in my heart. How do I keep all that straight? How do I keep all that right? <laughs> I need some space. I need some time with God. Does that make sense? So, your leadership... I would say the same thing to you. Keep yourself, do whatever you have to do. Go wherever you have to go. Read whatever you have to read because as a leader, it's your job to stay fired up. It's not my job to keep you fired up. It's your job to keep you fired up. So you got to own that so that you can face into the challenges of leadership in your life. Let me close this way by talking about the greatest leader of all time. We've been talking about how leaders solve problems. Leaders face into their challenges, right? They find strength in God. You know what Jesus did one day? <laughs> he looked over the situation. And he saw that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And he saw that the penalty of that sin is eternal separation from God. And he looked over that situation. And he realized that there was not a man, there was not a woman alive that could ever fix that problem. And you know what he did? He stepped into that challenge. He stepped into that problem. And he fixed it. You know how he did that? He died on the cross for you and I. He stretched out his hands and he allowed people to literally drill nails through his hands and his feet. To mock him. To shame him. He allowed them to put a crown of thorns on his head. He allowed them to smack him 
in the face. He allowed them to hit him over the head with rods, sticks. He allowed them to beat him until his back was bloodied. Why? To fix the problem. To reunite you to him. To pay for your sin and my sin. To do for you what you could not do for yourself. The truth of the matter is is that Jesus Christ, while we were yet sinners, died in our place. It should have been us. We should have paid the penalty for sin. We're the sinners. But the innocent one, the one in whom there was no sin, became sin for us so that we can be reconciled to God. Wow, that is powerful. Would you step into that today? Would you embrace forgiveness and grace in your life by saying yes to Jesus, by saying, Jesus, I believe you did that for me. I believe you fixed the problem of sin. I believe you did what I couldn't do by by dying on the cross so I can be reconciled to the Father and have eternal life. Would you step into that today? I'll invite you to do that. In fact, Jesus invites you to do it. I'm just talking for him. I'm going to lead you in a prayer right now. If you'd like to have your sins forgiven, if you'd like to become a child of God, if you'd like to accept his gift of forgiveness and grace, bow your head and close your eyes and express your faith to him. It doesn't have to be a lot of faith, just a little bit, through prayer. Say this to him. He's listening right now. Oh, Jesus, I believe, I trust that you're the Savior, my Savior. I call out to you today with my small faith. It's real. I do trust you. Wash away all my sin today. Forgive me, please. Make me your your child today as I trust you. Fill me with eternal life, abundant life, as I follow you. I love you. Help me to love you more. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. You know, the spiritual life is, it's not church. It's not giving money. It's not even being in a small group. Those things help. You know what the spiritual life is? It is a dynamic, real vibrant relationship with the God of the universe built upon conversations a conversation between the Father and you that goes on all day long a big part of that conversation what helps that conversation get clear in your head as a child of God and even as a a new child of God or a child of God who's been around for a while is by having the words of the book go through your mind and heart all day long, just flowing. And how do you get them there? <laughs> how do you get the word of God on the tip of your tongue? The Bible says the word is a lamp unto my feet and my light into my path. Well, in order for that to happen, it's got to be on your tongue and on your mind. How does it get there? Through reading it, memorizing it. So if you pray to receive Christ today, 
This table's back here to my right and to my left. I would encourage you, encourage you, if you don't have a Bible, even if you do have a Bible, grab one of these on your way out if you pray to receive Christ today and start talking to him and hearing his voice. Can we give him glory today? As I leave for uh, sabbatical, I want you to know you're going to be on my minds and hearts every day, every day. And I want you to know it's a joy and it's an absolute privilege to lead this church. And I cannot tell you how excited I am about our future, about what God is doing through you and through our church. And so I'd ask for your prayers again for our family and just for, for restoration and for everything we talked about today. Just for, to, for, for courage, for strength, for joy, for healing, whatever, needs, whatever God wants to do in my heart and our family's heart as we spend this time away. Is that cool? Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for your son, Jesus. It's because of him that we're here. Jesus, you are the treasure. You're you're the living water. You're the bread of life. You are the source of joy. Um, I hope you were honored today. I hope that that what you saw happen today uh, made you proud made you smile. Um, It's what we want to do. Talk to us, speak to us, lead us, encourage us, fill us, help us to be the leaders you've created us to be. Strengthen our hearts as we turn to you, as we struggle in our specific areas of leadership, ultimately so that you can do through us what you intend to do, what you want to do. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Hey, if you pray to receive Christ, be sure to grab a Bible on your way out. God bless you, and I will not see you next week.